Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We spoke earlier today to Clint Sharp, also the CEO of Heritage Cannabis, listed in Canada. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are also some training videos on there. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time. And of course, there's a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. So why not go and join them now on cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Clint, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. How are you? You're not bad. You're going you're gonna to reignite the, the flames of cannabis uh, on the show and tell us what's going on. Um, so thanks very much for joining us. So where are, where are you today? I am sitting in the middle of uh, COVID-riddled Toronto in <laughs> Ontario, Canada, uh, try, trying to keep myself uh, at a physical distance from uh, just about everybody. Yeah, good move, good move. In fact, that, that's, a, that's a good lesson, even when there's no COVID. Um, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to learn a little bit today uh, about Heritage Can, which is cannabis uh, company. Now, that's a kind of pretty big and broad topic. Um, why don't you kick off, give us a one-minute overview of what it, what your company is, and then I'll pick it up from there for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if you take a look at uh, Heritage, and uh, we refer to ourselves as a vertically integrated cannabis company. Uh, and now, although true to some aspect, uh, we're vertically integrated with the exception of growing. Uh, we feel that there's uh, uh, way too much cannabis supply on the market, and it's just as easy for us and probably much cheaper to go out and purchase a cannabis. We bring it in, uh, we extract it, and we formulate products. Now, when you think about formulated products, it's everything from vape pens to tinctures to gummies, chocolates, uh, beverages. Everything is on our, uh, on our plan for rollout. Currently, right now, we're doing vapes and uh, the tincture bottles uh, and <clears throat> about to introduce uh, gummies to the market here shortly. We're located in, uh, we have two licensed producers here in Canada, one in the east, one in the west. And uh, they're, they're pretty much mirrored each other in uh, facility and uh, opportunity for expansion and uh, shipping. What we've done now is uh, we've added uh, an additional medical component, uh, particularly with focus in the United States, a company called Opticam. It brought with us the, some bunch of executives from a, a former uh, marijuana company or cannabis company called Medrelief, one of the largest in Canada that sold out two years ago. Uh, these guys went and started a new company. We've acquired them, and now we're targeting international and U.S. expansion through their business. Okay, great. Um, before we kind of get into the technical side of things with regards to the, the products and you know the delivery mechanisms, et cetera, let me just try and understand your corporate structure because you talk about having five operating uh, subsidiaries and you've also got partners and you've mentioned a couple of names there which I didn't uh, actually recognize, um, OptiCam, et cetera. So just tell us about the, the, the structure and why you put it together like that. Yeah, in true form, we probably have about 16 uh, subs uh, that uh, the way that they operate, um, given that because you're outside Canada in different jurisdictions. Uh, what we've done is we're starting to simplify everything underneath the two uh, LPs, two licensed 
producers that we have. So what we've done is we've collapsed our extraction company in underneath the, the LPs, and we have uh, these two facilities are set up to do extraction and extraction-related products. We have then uh, a U.S. subsidiary, a company that we acquired recently called Optican. They're based out of Colorado with the target of introducing uh, hemp-derived CBD products into the U.S. market. Uh, and as well, uh, they'll be taking those same products uh, internationally. Uh, we're already speaking with uh, many different potential partners uh, with, with the technology that Optican has and the products that they're bringing. Uh, it's uh, in fairly high demand. Okay, a lot of moving parts already, and we haven't really got into it. So what's your model here? I mean, is this reflective of the fact that it's quite a fragmented market in terms of you know, inter the lack of ability to sell interstate in, in, in the United States, the fact that you're dealing with Canada with different sets of regulatory uh, components compared to the United States? I mean, wh why are you kind of piecing it together in the way that you have? If you look at cannabis, there's really two major components to it. There's recreational, think of people who just want to go and use cannabis for fun, and then there's medical. So people who have a prescription and can go out and get medical cannabis. Uh, however, there are a lot of medical users who buy their, uh, their medicine from the recreational market. It's easier. So what we've done is we've split our company into medical and into recreational, and we have the different focuses going on there. At the same time, our U.S. business and our international business is 100% medical focused as uh, recreational use isn't, uh, isn't legal in most places. So we focused heavily on our medical team uh, serving both Canada, which is a relatively easy market to service medically, uh, to the United States, which, as you mentioned, you need to separate state by state and then international, which is dealing with individual countries who all have different rules. So uh, it, it's a little bit more complicated when you get outside of Canada. Uh, not that Canada doesn't uh, have its own complications. Uh, however, with our uh, recreational business here in Canada, we're able to service quite a bit of that market too. Right, okay. Let, let, let's come on to international in, in, in a bit. Um, I guess the, what I'm thinking about here is the fact that we've got a lot of different markets in the United States, which is the big market that everyone hoped back in 2016, 17 would open up and uh, change everyone's fortunes, has, has, is slowly adopting. I'm not quite sure how many states are uh, open up to the adult recreational side and versus the medical uh, yet, but it's, it's, it's not where, where everyone hoped it would be for, for sure. But there's, there's costs to this. You're 66, 67 million Canadian market cap company. Right, and you have been as high as three hundred million, you know, a couple of times, beginning of two thousand eighteen and halfway through uh, two thousand nineteen. So, you know, you, you've been up there. You've kind of been looking down at this market, thinking, you know, "Fantastic, now's now's the time." But as a sixty-six, sixty-seven million dollar company today, it's it's harder because you've got cash constraints and you've got costs of trying to open up these markets. So how do you go about, I guess it's getting into business plan. How do you go about thinking about the best way to approach this, best bang for your buck, the, the most re realistic positive outcomes are where to you? So, yeah, you're right. Uh, cannabis got, the industry itself got so far ahead of itself. 
and, you know, we were, we were no different from a lot of other cannabis companies that rode this big wave of uh, taking your, your market cap to a, a, a massive and unrealistic trajectory. People were looking at uh, the potential revenues that are out there and trying to consider what the cannabis company was capable of being able to do. Uh, and I've said this many times over and over to people, cannabis is a bricks and mortar company. It has facilities, it has HR department, it has employees, it has janitors, it has everything that comes along with a real company. And, and if you're not treating it and you're not uh, controlling your costs like you do in every other real company, you're going to have a world of hurt. And, and, and it's a world of hurt that revenue can't solve for you. Uh, you can keep throwing more and more revenue at it. And if you're not producing margins to cover those massive overheads, you'll never have a company that'll be successful. Now, we've seen a lot of cannabis companies struggle under those cost constraints, and they're trying to correct it now. There's been massive write-offs. There was a big rush to trying to get as many plants under a canopy that you can get hundreds of thousands of square feet, millions of square feet being announced out there. Uh, but the question is, where's the market? And it was vastly overbuilt for the amount of the market that, not necessarily the market that exists, but the amount of the market that would come on legally. It wasn't going to be flip a switch and billions and billions of dollars go from being in the illicit market to being in the legal market. It was, it's been a slow build and it is building, but uh, it'll take some time. But come back to your business plan. What are you going to, I, I get that. And, and that, that's very prudent. It's very conservative. It's, 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 and a fair representation of what went on before, you know, go on, go on other private chats. But for you now, given the size of your company and possibly the cash available to you, I mean, how much cash have you got? Uh, on our balance sheet, we have about seven and a half or eight million dollars, depending on the time. Right. So you've got to be careful about how you allocate that, where you portion that, and what it's what your expectation of what it's going to do for you. So, given all the moving parts you've got, I, I get the the adult recreational bit. I get the medicinal component. You're in Canada, big market down south in the U.S., and you've got an international component. So it sounds great on paper, but you, you're going to you're going to need to narrow in on what's going to give you the kind of returns. On your investment now to keep things going. Yeah, that's uh, that's what this whole business is now becoming, and it, it is becoming a, a, a business that you need to be selling directly to the market. Uh, there's no such thing as, you know, oh yeah, we sell to other cannabis companies and we make a fortune. Nah, it doesn't work that way. So you need to have products going to the end market. And you need to have products that people want to buy. Uh, Flour is still the strongest market here in Canada, although it's diminishing percentage-wise as the Canadian uh, government is opening up more and more products. Uh, and if you look at the amount of flour that's available, there's a massive oversupply, massive. And there is a significant amount of uh, biomass available to companies like ours to be able to purchase it, extract it, and turn it into various other products that people are starting to consume cannabis such as vape pens, uh, tinctures, uh, uh, soft gel caps, and uh, uh, gummies, uh, cookies, chocolates, and ultimately eventually beverages as uh, they gain more traction and move forward. This is where we're playing here in Canada. 
you're right, we don't have a massive amount of big war chests sitting there to be able to blow a whole bunch of capital on all these things all at once. Nor do I think even if you did have that much money, uh, could you scale up efficiently and effectively? Uh, that's a tough thing, as I mentioned before. This is a real bricks and mortar company. You just don't scale up that massively that quickly. So you make some good decisions. You start creating some cash flow with products. We're doing that with vapes. We're doing it with tinctures. And we're starting to introduce it in the United States because of uh, the various market sizes and customers that we want to go and be uh, talking to down there. When, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when legalization comes into the States. Uh, albeit you are very correct, it's been slow. It has been slow. Okay, so you, you're going to focus on the adult recreational side. You've talked about a, a couple of delivery mechanisms specifically in terms of edibles and tinctures, et cetera. Um, and of course, there are multiple ways, multiple technologies out there, and people are coming up with them all the time to make it um, of the moment, shall we, shall we say. Um, but you, you've got a partner of people to deliver those. You don't own those technologies or delivery mechanisms. So what, what's... How, how, how do you make your money on the adult recreational side? Uh, so the delivery mechanisms of vape pens, we make our we make our own. Uh, we make our own tinctures. Uh, it's all of our own formulations, and they're all wildly popular. Have been in the illicit market prior to this, and then we brought it into the legal market, and it's uh, had such a fantastic uptake. You so make money. You make vape pens, and you make the. Surely you just fill these things up. You order, you order the bits of hardware and you fill them. Yeah, there's there's literally a hundred different hardware suppliers out there. That's uh, right. that's not hard to find. Sorry, we're not making the actual cartridges. No, no cannabis company does. Right. Okay. Uh, we all buy from the same, you know, five or ten uh, versions of it out there. So uh, we, we make the oil and we have a proprietary process in which we make the oil. So uh, we can offer what's called a full spectrum. Uh, vape pen out there. Uh, most vape pens take the biomass, bring it down to distillate, and then rebuild the oil in a lab to be able to fill a vape car uh, cartridge. Uh, we don't. We take the input biomass, and, and you take uh, and good news for us, there's a lot of high-quality biomass available. We don't bring it down to distillate. We maintain and we preserve the strain profile that uh, of the input biomass, and that comes out in the output of the oil. So the oil is an oil representation of the biomass strain going in. And we're the only ones in Canada doing this. And people who understand purity and quality uh, are, are flocking to it. Okay. And so, again, it's just to help me understand the terminology around here, because, again, it's for, there'll be a lot of new people looking sure. at this. Okay. Um, because Canada's a small market, whatever, 33 million people, not all of them vaping or consuming. Um, and there are different levels of quality of product out there as well. Do you, I mean, how, how do you sell it? How do you package it? Because I imagine there's got to be a lot of money spent on the branding components, you know, because it's not just a case of, yeah, it's flowers of flowers of flowers, is it? Uh, so there are uh, massive limitations to what uh, a Canadian cannabis company is allowed to do when it comes to marketing, advertising. So uh, branding really in Canada is, uh, you know, although it's important in, in to get uh, some attention uh, for people to, to look at, it's a really, really tough thing to explain to the world what differentiates your product from somebody else's as 
you have virtually no ability to do this. It's a matter of people trying it and saying, hey, that's great, or trying it and saying that's crappy. Wow. Okay. So how do, how do, they, how do they, do you have different quality levels, therefore? I mean, different pricing structures. I mean, again, if, I, if I'm a consumer and I'm, you know, interacting with one of your products, why am I selecting your product versus the next guy? Yeah, and that's a big challenge. So why would you? You have a, you're staring at it on a website or you're looking at it through some glass at a dispensary and you're saying, why would I choose a Pura Vita over someone else's product? So it comes down to you need to be able to educate the people, particularly uh, in the dispensaries. They call them bud tenders. So if you can go and have a conversation with them and we need, we, we go out and we visit all the dispensaries. We explain the difference between our products and, and what else you have for options out there in the market. And you need to make sure that these people clearly understand it because there's huge turnover in this industry. You know, go in one month and then six weeks later, go in again. Six weeks later, go in again. Right. Okay. So when you said earlier you, you sell direct, what you meant was you sell to dispensaries. You don't, are you able to sell online as well, directly? Only medically. Only medically. Okay, fine. Well, okay, understood. So what sort of, what's your sort of typical margin on, on these uh, units? Depends which product you're looking at and, and what our pricing uh, strategy is. It'll be somewhere in the high 20s to the low 40s on a percentage basis. Uh, we need uh, to maintain about a 30 to 35% on average in order to kind of hit our targets as, in, as a business and uh, to be able to uh, survive, thrive, and show profit. Okay, so it's 20 to 40 on a gross profit basis. Fine. Okay, and on the medical, does that improve any? It does, yeah. You're not paying a lot of the fees that you would see from having to sell in Canada. You mostly have to sell to a provincial cannabis board that's government-controlled, and then they get it to the dispensaries, and, and everybody takes their cut along the way, whereas medical is direct, and you can you can carve some of that out, but there's other fees that come along with medical and there's a, that uh, now the onus and the responsibility on patient care is on you. So you need to hire people to be able to answer questions. So when a patient has a question, they can call up and get somebody who's knowledgeable. Right, and what, what's your, what was your revenue, gonna, so what's your revenue gonna be this year and what's it projected to be next year? And what, you know, what are the margins that you're looking for the end of this year? Yeah, it's a good question. We have a lot of uh, a lot of things that we're working on right now that we feel are very close. So uh, it's funny you take a look at our budget, and there's about five renditions of it. If this happens, then this, and this happens, then this. If this happens, then this. And it's a uh, so when we look at our our base case, uh, it comes down to what do we need to see, and we need to get ourselves to the twenty the twenty five million dollar mark in order to start. Uh, uh, cash flow uh, break even. Uh, not that that's a, a goal of ours. That's the absolute minimum you should be doing. So what we would like to do is get ourselves there fairly quickly as we introduce our products into the recreational market and let that recreational market carry that number. After that, you can start adding into your medical, you can add into your US, you can add into your international. And for that matter, we also sell bulk oil uh, a little bit to uh, to the Canadian industry that can uh, all of that should be margin that goes straight to your your EBITDA line. 
Right. I've got to come back to the beginning almost is that in terms of these operating subs that you've got. I mean, what are the deals there? Because you've kind of pieced together a whole bunch of skill sets and for, what former, formerly separate companies or former separate groups of individuals who've come under your umbrella. Is, is that, and they've got now got a piece of the, of the, of the pie, as it were. I mean, how, how have you structured those in terms of remuneration? Yeah, so when you, we have brought together uh, several different groups, it's all been based on, you have two choices to build. You can either build through acquisition, you can build, uh, you know, greenfielding it yourself. Um, cannabis has been a, a business case and a colossal failure in greenfielding. Uh, so if, when you take a look at uh, the people who are, uh, who are involved and, and anyone who's got substantial experience in cannabis, has, has got it as being from the illicit market. Uh, there's no such thing as someone who has 20 years of experience in the legal market and bringing products to market. So you have to do a really good balance between uh, your QA people who come from pharma and, uh, and are very specific and have, have uh, are extreme rule followers. And then your people who came for the illicit market who are, you know, at the very core of their being not rule followers. And you have to put these people together in a way that makes sense. Uh, we've been very fortunate in the people that we've built who have their cannabis knowledge, the years and years of knowledge, in that they understood what they needed to do to transition over. And they've helped people like me who come from real bricks and mortars business. I don't know anything about cannabis when I started. They've helped me understand the necessities of being able to put forward a high quality product. At the same time, we've helped them put forward the necessities of making profit and, and following all the Health Canada regulations and all the stuff that comes along with that. Now, as you see gems out there, as you see people out there who have a certain ability that seems to be missing in the rest of the market, including our company, we're trying to bring them in. Um, it's, it's, there's no road path of success in this business. There isn't anybody who can claim hey, I, I went into this and I have a 10-year success history in legal cannabis. It doesn't exist. So all of us have been uh, looking at the, uh, the dark in front of us and trying to find a road that we know will be successful. Uh, and, and we watch just so some of them have been train wrecks as they go forward, you know, head down, barreling forward, and then it turns into a disaster. Most of us are trying to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're still around, you're halfway there. Um, <laughs> I think that um, it's it's interesting the way that cannabis companies in in Canada are going to you know, be able to move forward because I think they're having to concentrate on Canada. You sound like you're going to have to concentrate on Canada to drive the revenues you need to kind of one break even and then two hopefully make some money. Are you going to need to get to market and raise some capital to, you know, be able to deliver your international aspirations by international, I'm including the U.S. as well as international further afield? Yeah, so that's a conversation we have uh, quite regularly uh, internally. Right, right now, we're fine with what we're doing with addressing the Canadian market. Uh, it depends on the opportunities that come to us internationally. Uh, we are having some conversations right now that uh, are, are significant, that are you know, potentially game changers for our company. Uh, if they come to us, yeah, we have to big, bite off a, a little bit bigger part of what we were uh, otherwise planning on doing. But the, the opportunity has to offset the cost. 
And, uh, you know, that's also a careful consideration. We're getting a lot better in understanding what truly is an opportunity and what can truly be uh, something that is uh, um, accretive to the company. And uh, we've, we've kicked out a lot of things. Uh, you mentioned that people are bringing a lot of technologies to cannabis. Uh, I get five or six a week brought to me. Oh, we have this, we have that, it's unique, it's different. You know, in the end, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it has to be something that is so absolutely required and needed and, and uh, something inside the industry that it uh, gets brought forward and is, is a changer. No, I understand that. I mean, we too, family office, get approached every week with some new delivery mechanism. They get excited about the delivery mechanism. <laughs> I, I could care less about one delivery mechanism because I know next week there'll be another one. So it, it just, it's fascinating because it's a fairly nascent industry, right? The most experienced public markets guy in Canada has probably been out at three years, right? Right. And I wouldn't invest in someone who's only got three years experience of an industry. You, you, <laughs> you're, you're talking to me about bricks and mortar business, and I'm saying those fundamentals. And I'm, lo- I'm liking the phrase illicit market I'm, I'm <laughs> for the for adult recreational. I, I can only imagine. Where did where, you find those guys? <laughs> you know what? It, it's, they, they end up finding us. Um, we, have, uh, we have some good, strong cannabis people with great reputations from previous markets and uh, they're experienced in knowing kind of what uh, what's good what's not good and uh, and uh, occasionally we run across these like i call them gems that are they're sitting there that you know it makes sense to us and it makes sense to them to come on board okay so if your market's canada for now until something else comes along great Kind of what you said to me. You said you want to focus on our, Canada. Our, 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 no, no. It's our current revenue stream is Canadian-based. Uh, yeah. We have people hired in the United States that are going full bore. We have people who are full-time dealing with the international business. We have full intention. 2021, we're going to have uh, revenues being driven out of the States and out of other countries. Right. So how much does that cost you? Uh, cost you people. Uh, really, it's. Uh, I'm not talking a staff of uh, of dozens here. It's a few people uh, within the entire organization. So essentially, the burn rate of having some people working with uh, other people in other countries that they already have connections with. So you got a handful of sales guys in the states and elsewhere looking to find markets for you out there. How competitive is Canada? Because there's still some big names around it, albeit in a much stripped down uh, format. I mean, are you going to be able to meaningfully make any impact on the Canadian market? Yes. Yeah. Well, we have uh, we have absolute confidence in that. Uh, Canada is very competitive. Uh, uh, lots and lots of licensed producers out here. Uh, Health Canada keeps putting more and more out there. I don't know why. Uh, growers out there are... Uh, there's only a select few who can make some money right now doing what they're doing. Uh, you need to be able to have the full the full gamut of everything that uh, you have to offer to a, a purchaser. The Canadian cannabis uh, marketplace grows month over month over month as we keep adding more and more dispensaries. That's the key. You, you can't have, you know, uh, Ontario last year had had 38 dispensaries servicing 15.5 million people. That doesn't work. In that case, you have that many people, you need 2,000 dispensaries. It has to be convenient, it has to be close. 
or else people just won't do it. So Ontario has been able to build at a very rapid pace and that's building the legal market, the addressable market. And, uh, and we're, we're picking up a good chunk of the uh, percentage of the market in the areas that we're playing in, and we're going to start playing in other areas. So what's the opportunity or size of the opportunity you believe that you can capture in Canada? Uh, in terms of revenue and what we're looking to introduce to somewhere between 50 and $100 million, uh, it kind of depends on how the market morphs. As you mentioned, you know, three years of experience, actually, it's just been uh two years of legal market of uh, legal market runway that can tell us what's happened. And, uh, and that's not indicative of what's going to happen. Too many different brands, too many different companies bringing too many different options, including us. We just started selling in June and uh, our products are in really high demand in the areas that they're in selling out quickly. And that means they're buying ours and not buying somebody else's. Um, that uh, you know, that's a real thing. Let's come back to my earlier question: Is why are they buying yours versus the next guys? Then, if you said it's so hard to differentiate, it, and it is. So what you end up doing is you have uh, people talking about you on social media. We happen to have uh, two brands that uh, were were quite uh, well known in the legacy market prior to uh, legalization. We brought them and we uh, created the legal brands utilizing the same. Uh, the same high-end quality, the same way that they've made these. So it was a reasonably well-known product already. And by putting that in the market and then really servicing it up, putting it out uh, social media saying, tell me what you think. Do you like it? Do you not like it? And uh, we're getting great reviews. It's starting to get great uptake. And then going out and educating. Again, it's going out and talking to every single dispensary and explaining what the difference in our full spectrum process and our direct-to-vape uh, process that we have that nobody else has out there. It's a unique product. It's just, it's not like I can take out an ad on TV and explain to everybody what's going on. Uh, uh, brands, there's no such thing as a, as a known brand, a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi in cannabis right now. Everybody's fighting for brand recognition. Okay, give me the timeline. 50 to 100 million revenues, that's significant compared to where you are today. So what are the things that are gonna to need to happen in the marketplace to allow you to do that if you if you do capture the percentage of the market that you think you do? Um, and what's that mean in terms of your bottom line? Yeah, so if you're looking 50 to 100 million, we're, we're, we're talking uh, out into 2022 for that. Uh, and it'll be with uh, putting out more SKUs, uh, more products of what we're currently doing, plus adding uh, gummies, uh, uh, chocolates, and, uh, and likely uh, at the tail end, beverages to this. Now, in order to do that, the market needs to continue to grow. And for all intents and purposes, uh, the estimate right now, it's about 50-50, the black market to legal and legal is taking a bigger and bigger percentage of the black market month after month as more dispensaries are coming on board. We have hundreds and hundreds of dispensaries that have been approved and are in the process of being uh, being brought to market, making products available uh, or more available to people who are currently in Canada. And we're going to be one of the cannabis companies filling that supply chain. 50 to 100 million, that's, that's not a big number when you're talking about the you know, potential Canadian market being north of five billion, uh, and and the product differentiation we have, 
So that also, so that's just a Canadian market for us until we start adding some of the U.S. Again, understand that that is, we're still looking two years down the road. So 2022, your guide, 50 million revenue is, is your guide. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And is that the point when you, well, if, where, where are you with the U.S. stuff? Because like, we get a lot of people come on the show and go, I've got the, this distribution, these conversations, this thing. So today, have you got any contracts outside of uh, Canada? No. Well, uh, no. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to soft circle the no right now. Uh, we have uh, a kickoff meeting happening down in the United States. happened uh, this week. I think they're coming back today and starting their two-week quarantine. Uh, where we have uh, uh, several different uh, companies uh, we're talking to about uh, starting our distribution down there. We have some goals and expectations in the United States that, uh, you know, for next year are, are modest, but uh, uh, depending on the uptake that in particular, the product uh, we have, uh, we have a product that has a the Vesasorb technology, the absorption uh, technology that is very well known it's not like one of these ones that get brought out saying, hey, I've got this uh, and it's great. The Vesasorb technology is, uh, has been around for years and years in the natural health products uh, industry and is used by many big natural health product companies. We're now introducing it into cannabis and, uh, and the interest there is significant. And uh, we anticipate we'll, uh, uh, we'll have a lot more to say of that uh, very early into 2021. And the same, same with international conversations. So no, no sales from international conversations either yet. Uh, we expect we'll have a lot more to say of that before the end of this year. Right. Okay. Okay. Do you, so do you, do you, and what, are, what are your hopes for this space? Because it's been, it's been absolutely beaten up for the last two, three years. It, it, you know, it, the, there, there are some very, a lot of people lost a lot of money. Let me put it like that. Right. A lot of retail lost a lot of money at the height here. They're, They've written that off. Then they'll never see that again. The companies have written it off. Um, do you th- expect to see a lot more regulation um, from the cannabis sector itself in terms of the way that they behave, the, from the Canadian government, from the exchange? I mean, how, how, how do people protect themselves? You know, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, cannabis got not, not just a little bit ahead of itself. It got absurdly ahead of itself, uh, unlike anything I have seen since the, you know, the tech run up in the late 90s, and, and then the subsequent bubble, no different from the cannabis bubble. Um, cannabis had four specific hard runs, the last of which was in, you know, spring of 2019. And it's been pretty much uh, in the doldrums since then. And rightly so. Uh, it, it, the valuations were unsustainable. They were undefendable, uh, all of them were. And uh, some massive uh, investments happened in the cannabis industry and the canopy uh, with uh, Constellation or Altria into Kronos. And that seemed to justify uh, some of the uh, numbers that were being thrown around there because smart money was following it. Smart money. In the end, yeah. (laughs) Right, okay. Little tongue in cheek there. and that's and that what that did was just it, it drew retail in um, a lot of people who thought it was just a you put money into a cannabis company you wait for a week or two and you can cash out forty percent higher, and, and that was true to for certain times, 
but you know, you've been around investing long enough that uh, you know that these things, if it's if you can't back it up, you can't justify it, it will fall and it'll fall hard. Uh, and you know, it'll it'll take a year to build and it'll take a week to fall. And uh, you know, trying to catch a falling knife is uh, uh, a dangerous game. So people let it fall and let it fall and let it fall quite often unjustifiably low. Uh, and there were some companies, and I'll say that we're, we were one of them, uh, that uh, got unjustifiably punished. Uh, but in the end, if I'm sitting as an investor from the outside looking in, I'm saying, well, start performing and then I'll start investing. And I get that. Uh, you know, I spent my life in private companies and, you know, to me, uh, pomp and circumstance and hype mean nothing. Uh, it's all about you know, make your revenue, make your profits and start showing me why you deserve a higher valuation, why you deserve uh, to be considered amongst the top of the top. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I know a couple of brokerages, um, people there who are considered friends who are pushing stock they knew wouldn't work. I mean, gr growing, growing um, cannabis is like a fool's errand. I mean, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of previous in terms of, uh, you know, it, agricultural businesses would prove to you that the growing side, the margins fall and fall and fall, and that it was never never going to be wise. And these brokerages were pushing stuff onto retail, knowing that it wasn't going to work. Uh, and it, and it, quite quite sadly, the case. Um, tell me, how much money have you raised over the period? Well, in fact, how long has this been going? And you mentioned you've been there a couple of years ago. Is that what I think you said? Yeah, I, I took over as CEO in uh, September of 2018. Mm. Uh, that's when we started doing our acquisitions. Uh, we've raised $25 million from there. Uh, uh, not a lot in this industry. Uh, we've, uh, uh, I consider ourselves to be uh, uh, great stewards of cash, uh, particularly compared to most in this industry. And uh, we've been pretty careful about what we invest in and, uh, and, and where we see our business going. The formulated products industry and being, you know, anything formulated with, uh, with oils or extracted derivatives is where we're focusing. Uh, obviously, we're not focusing on the dried flour. Uh, uh, there's enough of those out there. So uh, we're going to look to play in the rest of that industry. The acquisition of Optican opened up several doors for us on the medical side. Uh, they have contacts and they have uh, uh, pretty advanced conversations that we were able to uh, bring in uh, with us. That will be uh, uh, to us a, a, a big change to what we could have uh, previously offered. So. Uh, uh, these, these guys don't exactly. run their own um, separate balance sheet. You're, you're all in the same balance sheet, right? Okay. We do, yeah. And you're all incentivized the same way. Like how many shares have you got? How much money have you put in yourself? Uh, uh, in terms of actual cash, I have no idea. Uh, I'm sitting with a little, uh, little over 4 million shares. And, uh, you know, since, uh, since COVID began, I, uh, uh, when we was, everything was very uncertain and we didn't know uh, uh, how big this could be or how ugly it could be. Uh, a lot of the management staff, including me, uh, started foregoing salary and taking equity instead. Uh, I, I do that. Uh, I'm, I've been fortunate in life that uh, I don't require a day-to-day -day salary. Instead, I would uh, prefer to take equity in my company, particularly now, as I think we've been beaten down uh, 
harder than we deserve. Uh, although given the sector that we're in, uh, everyone's been beaten down. So it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to say, Hey, you guys have been unfair to us. Everyone can say that. So given you were at 300 million market cap, I imagine the salaries then were probably different from they are now. Have you cut salaries and deferred salaries or is everyone still like paying themselves a decent wage, whether it be on an equity basis or otherwise? I would suggest that none of our salaries are outside of uh, what I would be able to easily defend publicly. Uh, you know, there's 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 no big, big numbers here. Uh, we have to be competitive in the industry. You'll just lose people. I have, I've have i got good people that I'm happy to be working with. Uh, you know, very rarely do you find a company that things uh, work well like that together. And we're, we're pretty excited about what we have. Um, so a lot of people, uh, uh, I wouldn't say deferred, but uh, chose equity instead of uh, salary. And then uh, during COVID, we uh, we did uh, temporary layoffs uh, pretty much right across the board uh, until we could get a handle on what exactly was going to happen in this industry uh, or in the world in general, I should say. And then uh, now that uh, uh, we're seeing our business grow and our revenues grow and uh, the need to bring more and more people on, Everyone who was laid off has been brought back uh, and or everyone that felt comfortable. There's still some people who aren't comfortable being in close quarters with others, uh, even though you go into a cannabis facility and everybody's hands are covered, mouths are covered, faces are covered, heads covered. Uh, yeah, it's quite the pharma clean facilities. So, uh, yeah, I, I got to say that there's there's no offside salary. There's just no offside compensa uh, compensation in our company. Right. Okay. And one last one. Um, twenty twenty one. I couldn't work out. Are you breaking even next year? You told us what you're doing twenty twenty two. Are you breaking even next year? Or are you going to net profit something? Uh, we're targeting. Uh, we're targeting EBITDA positive uh, next year, um, and and not not adjusted EBITDA positive. I don't really understand the adjusted part of it. I'm. I'm I'm pretty uh, well financially uh, literate, and I still don't completely get the adjusted aspect. But we're uh, we're hoping that the by the run rate that we're we're kind of clipping out right now, that uh, looking at March, April, May, somewhere in that neighborhood, if things come into play, that uh, our company should be able to uh, you know pay its own bills and uh, and and be cash flow positive from operations. And, uh, and have that do nothing but build over the course of the year. So hopefully by the end of the year, you know, any potential losses we took in the first uh, part of it, we'll be offsetting that with uh, positive EBITDA in the second half. Okay, Clint, thanks very much. Nice run through. Um, I appreciate the uh, frankness. Um, we'll follow the story, see how you get on. That's you know, the only thing I ask. I'm not telling people to go out and buy my stock. I'm telling people, watch this. Uh, watch what we do. Watch the things that we're uh, putting out there. Uh, I feel that we're one of the more uh, aggressive companies when it comes to our products and what we're doing. We're pricing aggressively and we're putting some high, high quality products out. And we believe those two things are going to uh, uh, going to pay off uh, fairly strongly in the future. Yeah, like you say, business is simple. Just bring more money in. <laughs> bring more money in than you spend, right? Yeah. Everyone should do that. What's going on? I know, I know. Clint, thanks very much for your time. Stay in touch. Pick up the phone. Let us know if there's anything uh, good happening, okay? Wonderful. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.